Welcome to another episode of the Courageous Path podcast found on SoundCloud and iTunes where you can subscribe and follow. My name is Rachel Horton White and you can learn more about me at soulfulworkconsulting.com. Today I am so, so excited to share an interview with an incredible visionary healer and transformational speaker, writer, coach named Ronnie Landis. This interview is called Your Human Potential. Ronnie Landis is an integrative nutritionist, transformation coach, and human behavioral specialist. His work focuses on enhancing the human experience through natural nutrition, lifestyle design, and consciousness engineering. With well over a decade of devoted study and application to the fields of optimizing the body, mind, and spirit union through combining the universal principles of you are what you eat, you are what you think about, Ronnie believes that in order to truly manifest our dreams, we must first embody them in a healthy, hormonally balanced, and disease-free body. After all, it is excruciatingly difficult to maintain an attitude of gratitude in a pain-stricken body. Ronnie seeks to share his knowledge and teachings with hundreds of thousands of people around the world through his books, podcasts, online courses, YouTube channel, events, seminars, and retreats. You can learn more about Ronnie at holistichealthmastery.com or ronnie-landis, R-O-N-N-I-E-L-A-N-D-I-S.com. Hope you enjoy this illuminating transformational interview that you will not want to miss. Good afternoon, Ronnie, or it's afternoon for me, morning for you in California. I am so lucky and blessed to be talking with you today um, about your incredible work. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And I uh, I love it how like-minded, you know, souls, spirits uh, will find each other through our mutual friend, Seth Brzezanski, thankfully. And he told me about all the amazing work with um, the mind-body-spirit connection that you're doing, and I am just dying to hear about it. So, um, so can you tell me a little bit about your story from what you've done in your life with, you know, transforming your own health and your life through self-healing? Absolutely. So my focus is as a professional nutritionist and a human potential specialist, and that crosses all areas of psychology, of emotionality, developing more of what I call it EQ, which is your emotional intelligence along with your IQ, as well as your your body intelligence, right? And so my focus has been on nutrition professionally over the last almost a decade. But before that, I was really focused as an athlete and as a martial artist. Since the age of four, I was a martial artist. I'm 31 years old now. So that's the greater kind of span of my entire life was really raised in traditional Eastern philosophy Um, different forms of martial arts. I competed professionally in Taekwondo. I um, ran a martial arts school for a number of years. And that that was just my life. I, I lived it, breathed it, ate it, drank it, you know, the old saying, like it was just everything to me. And 
along my my competitive career, I had a number of knee injuries that sidelined me for a short period of time, and I had to learn how to really develop myself outside of just going to the gym or working out. I had to develop myself emotionally and psychologically, um, which also aided me as an athlete, um, but in that place, it was more so me developing the mindset to get through the challenges that I was facing physically. And that's when I got into natural nutrition. Uh, I I got into nutrition originally as a sports performance enhancement because it just made sense to me after a while that while eating processed food and eating essentially dead foods, foods that are void of life force energy, that my body was not going to recover as quickly as it could be. And so that was kind of the first aha moment for me. And then from there, I actually started to notice that my knees were healing, that I was recovering from exercise a lot quicker, that everything seemed to be working better. The inflammation, the chronic aches and pains that I thought were just normal started to dissipate and dissolve themselves. And when I got into living foods, what I mean by that is raw living plant-based foods that are most closest to their natural um, phenotype, which is their natural state, which is the foods that haven't been cooked, processed, microwaved, broiled, boiled, toasted, um, you know, all that kind of thing, um, basically haven't been altered by any kind of heating intervention machine. Um, just foods in their natural raw state, it actually impacted me so deeply that I had a complete spiritual, psychological, and emotional shift within the the first 30 or 60 days of going entirely raw. I went completely vegan, which was basically getting off all the animal foods. And at that time was getting off like factory farmed meat and dairy and, and eggs and all that kind of thing. And from there, I just experienced the most profound shift in my life. And it led me down a corridor of possibilities to discover really what my ultimate uh, path and purpose in this life was, which is to be a voice for a message, and a message that is essentially health liberation, health sovereignty. And that's that's kind of a short story on, on my background and what's led me into the work that I do now. Mm, that's so incredible to hear. And I find it so fascinating that your, your roots were in uh, martial arts, which... I'm wondering if that philosophy, you know, I'm vaguely familiar. Um, I've studied Buddhism myself, but I'm not so familiar with, um, did you say it was Taekwondo? Uh, well, well, I'm a third degree black belt in Taekwondo and I competed in Taekwondo and ran a martial arts school that was based in Taekwondo. But, you know, over 25 years of martial arts, you don't get stuck in just one kind right. of art form you 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 end up spanning across the kind of the cosm of I, I i've i've studied wushu kung fu kenjutsu which is japanese sword styles like more like kind of like what we associate as the samurai arts um i've studied many self-defense arts and used to teach self-defense classes um to mothers and parents and children um as well as like karate and boxing kickboxing muay thai um, a little bit of wrestling and grappling and all that kind of stuff. So I, I was very competitive or I was very combatively focused. Not that I was getting in fights all the time, but I just loved competing as a fighter. 
And uh, I no longer, obviously, no longer do that, or I don't try to get into fights or anything. But um, I still kind of, I still kind of have that that spirit, that warrior like spirit inside of me. And that 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 spirit of the warrior is actually what drives me in the work I do now because. I'm pretty outspoken on many issues as it revolves to certain agendas that are masquerading as solutions in the more cosmetic areas of medicine, the the pharmaceutical industries, the vaccine industries, which are basically the pharmaceutical industry, um, you know, in factory farming and some of the atrocities that are taking place in our world. So it's interesting to see how one energy transfers over to another in our life. You know, it's like, I like the saying that nothing is ever lost in our life. It's just energy transfers over. Yeah, that's beautiful. So it sounds like your roots were in this Eastern philosophies, mm-hmm. which I find so fascinating. With You know, so many of us in the, um, I don't want to say the healing realm, including some of the ascended masters <laughs> and prophets and ages past studied had their roots in eastern um philosophies does that sound is that do you still tap into that uh, absolutely absolutely it's it's kind of built into me so there's different philosophies when it comes to um different forms of religion or spiritual seeking there's shintoism which comes from the japanese lineage there's which is which is loosely associated with buddhism or even bushido which is the philosophy that the samurai um, in Japan were adopted and really lived their life by honor, discipline, um, humility, loyalty, uh, you know, uh, chivalry, kind of like the, this, the, these are all, you know, what's interesting about it is that these are all kind of the principles and virtues that every great warrior like civilization really upheld. You know, we think of chivalry and we think of like the Knights of the Round Table, right? Um, and these are all kind of the same similar qualities that those in power and those that are serving to protect all kind of embody. And I really took that on at a young age. I really thought that that was something amazing. That was also something that I didn't see in the world as much. I saw more of the superficial and artificial cosmetic kind of way of life that we kind of we we all now are kind of aware of the plasticizing of life on the planet at least in the western world and i thought there was something real and there was a lot of substance to the eastern type of philosophy which now in quantum physics you can kind of relate to the wave field so for example before something we all know that based on quantum physics, at least, that everything that we consider to be material or physical matter is basically the, the organization of atoms and sub, subatoms, subatomic particles that have organized themselves and c- condensed themselves together and ba- are bound up to create what we call like a physical material, like the desk that I'm currently, my computer is on right now talking to you. But before something becomes matter, it actually exists in a wave form. So it's interesting, the Western philosophy, which is more like allopathic in nature, it's more reactionary, it's more mechanical or materialistic, like Newtonian physics, for example, 
is material, but before the material can can come into form, it has to start as a wave. And the wave is basically an empty space of energy with disassociated particles. And then that's like our thought forms, for example. When we have thoughts and we link thoughts up together, they start to associate and then from there can become real manifestations, mere material manifestations, for example. So I feel like Eastern philosophy is like the waveform, which births the, the more mechanistic um, or the material side of reality. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. I am so excited that you're talking about this because I um, the roots of my work came in from learning about some quantum physics too. And so I'm just going to touch on what you just said about thought forums, because I've myself have kind of always tried to wrap my mind around that. And maybe you can (laughs) shed some light on it because, so, you know, I know, I believe just like you do that thoughts um, become actual, you know, forms that affect our, our energy, our realities, our experiences. Can you, um, or do you have any other insight into how that actually works? You know, if it's a wave and then it becomes a thought and how does that thought become part of what we experience? I know some of this is actually completely in the spiritual realm, but I'm wondering if you have any more information you can share about that. Uh, well, I think the best way to maybe distill that thought out is to understand that everything is is operating within a field of energy, right? Mm-hmm. And your thoughts are mental units of energy, and so are your emotions. So, for example, oftentimes when somebody has an emotion come up, it's usually tied to a thought, and that thought is is like the architecture of a storyline. And so when people are dealing with emotional triggering or they're dealing with um, trauma points in their life, they're dealing with some kind of inner civil war, some kind of conflict they have inside themselves, usually there's a story that can be traced back down to their childhood or at some moment in time where a non-localized emotion was crystallized into their body. What do I mean by that? So basically what we know about emotions and thoughts, but I'd say emotions in particular, because people have a harder time dealing with emotions because of the energetic, I guess, like, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, like, um, just because of how strong they can be, they haven't developed the emotional muscle per se. Mm -hmm. So when we have a strong emotion come up, it's non-local. So again, in quantum physics terms, that means that it doesn't exist in just one location. Our physical body, for example, um, outside of like multi-dimensional, like multi, uh, you know, different dimensions where that, that could, that's a whole different conversation. But in this dimension, in this conversation, your physical body is where it's at. My physical body is where it's at. It doesn't exist on different different uh, places for, per se, right? So our emotions, though, are non-local, meaning that the best way to explain that is that when somebody, let's say somebody has a cancer, let's say they have um, even Lyme disease, they have an autoimmune condition, they have some kind of severe physical 
degenerative kind of situation going on, you can always trace that back to some kind of trigger. Now, it's not that the trigger per se caused the issue, but it's associated with it. And the non-locality principle is that when we were younger, some kind of trauma was imprinted upon us. It could have been something as simple as, you know, trying to get your mother's attention, for example, and she had a stressful day and she snaps on you. And then from there, that creates like an energetic crystallization that actually integrates into the physical tissue of somebody's body. And so there's a, there's another term. And so to finish that thought off, so you could be re-experiencing that same emotional wound over and over and over every day of your life as if it just happened, but clearly it didn't happen, but that's the non-locality principle. And there's another term that I find really interesting from Sigmund Freud, who was the kind of the godfather of psychotherapy, which is compulsive repetition. This is really fascinating to me. Um, and this, you know, obviously goes outside of the the typical conversation around nutrition, but my work is kind of expanding into um into bridging the natural nutrition and health with the human potential perspective. So from that perspective, um, compulsive repetition is simply that somebody will compulsively repeat patterns. They'll compulsively repeat addictive patterns or substance abuse, for example, because there's actually a chemical addiction. So for example, some people are addicted to drama. Mm-hmm. They are addicted to relational toxicity. So, so so it's like when you're watching two people that are in a relationship that's clearly toxic. It's clearly not good for anybody, but they're bound up in it. Their identities are wound up together. Um, and there's actually a chemical stimulation that somebody gets from being in an argument or being or or triggering, getting triggered or triggering their partner or something like that, right? Um, this goes, this can go so far down the rabbit hole, but that's kind of the basic principle that I I work from. I I love it. It's so, so fascinating. And I imagine this is, is this part of the work that you do with people in holistic health mastery and all the other work you do? Do you talk about? Yeah, I, I, I weave all these things together in the holistic health mastery program, which is my online holistic nutrition certification course. That course is mostly focused on the cutting edge of natural nutrition and lifestyle design, as I call it. Um, But I do weave a lot of this stuff in there for sure. And then in my books that it it gets detailed a lot more. And then in the personal coaching work I do with people, we do a lot more of this kind of work because when you're dealing with people that have – all kinds of conditions going on or neurosis or or emotional kind of upheavals that are correlated with the physical um, inhibition or disability, you got to be able to look at the emotional toxicity that's going on. You got to be able to help somebody work through the storyline or the narrative that's running their life. Yes. And so this this I go underneath the radar and I use I, I go into the depths of, of re reframing somebody's paradigm or their belief system or their emotional 
attachments to certain situations that no longer serve them. And then I use nutrition as a way to fine tune the, the actual hormones and the neurochemistry and the nervous system of the body. So that person is in a place where they're physically capable of moving forward. But sometimes people are actually physically exhausted they're adrenally exhausted, they're wiped out, they're burnt out, that they don't actually have the energy to move out of these states because the addiction to that drama is actually what's keeping a lot of people going in the first place. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. What's part of why energy healing can be so helpful to people. And it's interesting for me to hear that because I, what you just said about that, because I work with people a lot on thoughts and emotions and, um, and energy, but I think there comes a point when I will say it's a, it's beyond it's about healing some kind of energetic piece deeper than this, and um, that's kind of speaks to just what you were saying, I think. And so something I was just thinking of is that this is um, get. I mean, I know this is part of who you are is this this higher spiritual essence. How does that integrate with your into your work with people or does it maybe it doesn't um absolutely i just don't see a disconnect i don't see a uh, a disassociation from right. spirit from career from relationship from um fitness from health i see it all as the same thing which actually allows me to be congruent Right. So that's the that's another issue that people rub up against is that they feel incongruent in their life. And I certainly still do from time to time and have for many years of my life, uh, yeah. simply because I was disassociating them or I wasn't totally in alignment with what what I believed was true for myself, the way that I perceived myself and my daily actions. So when you start to realize that everything is spirit, that there is no disassociation from it, then you live more in harmony and you make choices based on your value system and not based on the immediate gratification or the immediate response of the world. Let's say money, like is this going to make me a lot of money or or is there a higher intention? Will this maybe make me a lot of money? Or will it? Or in that pursuit of money, is it also going to compromise my ideals and values? And if that's the case, then um, there's no entertainment of that idea left. I can't. I can't do it because it's out of alignment with spirit, and spirit is what's guiding this this whole game in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I'm not under the assumption that I know better than the Creator, right? Um, I have my own set of intelligence, but it's also in conduit. It's also in alignment with the creator's intent. And I'm constantly trying to get closer and closer to that point of synchronicity, that point of serendipity that allows me to know that I'm on the right track. When I'm, when I'm in a place of hypersynchronicity, when things are clicking, they're clicking, they're flowing, everything seems like it's just in a flow, then I know that I'm tapping into that zero point field. I'm tapping into that like godlike um, awareness, if you will, and I'm, I'm on track. Yes. But if things yeah. feel hard and heavy and, and I'm weighing out hyper-materialistic focuses and really i'm just like in scarcity i'm I'm in survivalistic animalistic kind of consciousness everything's gonna feel heavier i'm gonna have my shield up and i know that i'm definitely not in alignment in those 
in those moments. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's hard. It's, you know, I think even though, and I know you talk about the paradigm shift, um, and even though we are, a lot of us are kind of waking up to a new reality in our lives and a new way of living and being, um, it is still kind of like a little bit of a battle sometimes with the society that we are, you know, we live in the United States of America. It's just a whole different way of viewing health and viewing um the body and i think there are people opening up to you know the the other another way metaphysical way but i'm wondering how do you how does that affect your work and how do you manage some of those some of the barriers that might come up in the external world you know speaking from the the medical model of the western world i mean just understand that it's all based on newtonian physics Yes, which is entirely mechanical. It's mechanistic. It's it's materialistic, and a lot of it is actually is made up. A lot of it is essentially what I call scientism, and it's not really science. It's a dogmatic, cosmetic form of science that is called scientism, right? Like it's important that people understand that distinction because we have so many issues happening in our world that are completely based on scientism masquerading as science and most of the general public has no idea about this they assume that all the studies being done on vaccines are based on science and when you take someone like me or some people that actually like alternative doctors out in the world that actually know the difference they're just like what is this is like junk science this isn't real like this has this is totally like fabricated Um, So it's that idea that, you know, people actually have to allow their belief system to kind of be broken down in front of them at a certain point in their life in order to see the truth. And so from that perspective, I really just look at it's not to say that like Newtonian science is, is all wrong, right? It's to say that the wave, the wave field comes first. And so it's it's just really that perspective that like, you know, another way that I look at it is that philosophy always precedes activity, you know, for me. So if if, for example, science without philosophy is chaos and philosophy without science is theory. So you need to have both. But here's the thing. We have a world dominated by science with no philosophy. Therefore, it makes logical sense to some people to cut down the rainforest, to to grow soy plantations so we can feed sick cattle that are being antibioticized because they're eating an unnatural diet and they're 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 being raised in completely destructive and and really like disgusting environmental conditions and then we eat that right and so you see how like that doesn't actually make any sense but if you're coming from the perspective of like um you know monetary gain and complete logic but no philosophy whatsoever like a philosophy in this case being like sustainability ecological sustainability the health of the planet the health of animals um then you wouldn't be able to participate in those activities because your philosophy is anchored in mm-hmm. right but if but then again if your philosophy is just about making money or being in power or whatever the whatever the the cases with those t- particular agendas then 
you could see how these things are are operating um, in the world, even though they look totally ridiculous or no rhyme or reason, right? So that's yeah. just kind of my personal take on that is like, I, I tend to look through the, the lenses of my own particular philosophies of life. And then I match that up with like a formula. I match that up with a little more of a practical, grounded, scientific kind of uh, medium in order to start creating results. But I'm not, I'm not putting the cart before the horse or the horse yeah. before, however, the, the cart before the horse. Yeah. How they yeah. say this saying goes, um, it. you know, it's first, it's first things first to me spirit and and intention and philosophy come first and then after that if those things are in alignment then the action and the mechanics and the you know the the how to comes after that that's why that's when technology can be very very powerful but if we don't have our philosophy and our and we we not only have the right mindset but we have the right heart set then Technology is just going to um, actually make us much. It's not only going to just continue to destroy the planet, but it's actually going to make us a much weaker species. Yeah. Right. Right. It's fascinating, and I um, I totally resonate with everything you're saying. So I'm, you know, I'm wondering in your experience working with people. I know you're in Southern California, where people are um, probably somewhat more open-minded than some of people in other parts of the U.S. Um, how do you notice that, I mean, people respond to some of this new way of thinking? I mean, as we all are going, you know, more and more of us are going through our own, you know, awakening to the reality of things. And sometimes it's painful and sometimes it's <laughs> illuminating, um, a little bit of both. But I'm just wondering what you're what you're noticing. I mean, I, I know when we talk about things like vaccines, there's all kinds of people that get really angry, you know, <laughs> all these emotions mm-hmm. come up. Um, or, and, you know, especially with, you know, having degrees and, you know, certifications and years of experience versus... Right. You know, how do you, well, their 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 identity is being challenged, right? That's essentially right, right. when you have somebody that has been through the the industrial education system. Um, they've been trained a specific way to think a specific way with a specific type of information. So yeah. they're kind of in tunnel vision a lot of times. And so when someone like me or other people come out and and actually speak about the reality and the real statistics and the real science that's being done on things like genetically modified food and and um, kind of big agriculture and vaccines or whatever what have you, their identity gets challenged and nothing will trigger somebody more than challenging the idea of who they believe they are. Yeah. yeah. So that's just something I accept. You know, it's just part of the deal. I don't take it personally. I know it has nothing to do with me. I'm just like I'm just like a, a messenger. You know, yes. I'm just a vehicle for that person to hopefully come into consciousness, to come into a place where they aren't just looking through the lenses of their own dogma, but they're actually willing to look outside of their box. And that can be very difficult when you've built a career around that identity and around that education that you probably spent most of your life looking forward to or working towards because your mom and dad told you that was the best thing. You have a lot of people that have degrees that actually are not doing what they love to do, but they're doing it because 
their mom or dad or, or whoever pretty much like groom them for that. They, they're, so their sense of value, their sense of worth is tied up in that identity. Yes. And so you can understand why people get so so upset and triggered about this, even though it's totally irrational. And if you really did care about um, vaccine injuries or you really did care about um, conditions of health where people are, are where we haven't you don't have to look at statistics. You just have to open your eyes yeah. like we're living in the most we have the most abundance of any particular time in human history that we can think of and we have the most disease and in abnormal health conditions that have ever existed at the same time so at some point an intelligent person has to scratch their head and say hey you know what there's something out of balance there's something not quite right with the situation and maybe the medical model as it's proposed doesn't have all the answers clearly by the way i just want to point out one thing the third leading cause of mortality is something called iatrogenics iatrogenics is a term that basically most people have no idea about because it's probably designed that way so you don't actually know what it means but what it means is that it's physician and drug induced death wow the third oh. leading cause of death in the world is at the hands of physicians not that physicians are i'm not calling them murderers i'm saying that it's it's you know for example we found out in studying cancer research that more people die of the the chemotherapy than they do of the physical cancer abnormality in the body Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah i was just reading about that the other day actually it's coming out more and more Yeah, it's incredible. Or just, you know, combining medications that aren't supposed to be combined and Mm -hmm. giving Mm -hmm. people way too many drugs that, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm essentially looking through the lenses of common sense. (laughs) Right, right. And that's what guides me. That is what guides me to make proper decisions is that I'm making decisions from what I consider to be common sense. And... I don't need a textbook to tell me what that is. You know, it's something inside of me that guides me. It's like an internal navigational compass. And we've kind of bought into what's called intellectualism. Mm. Um, This goes way deeper into, you know, way other areas that, you know, certain areas of deception, whatever. I'm, by the way, a lot of people, if you may be listening to me for the first time, you may think I'm like some conspiracy theorist. That's not this not even relevant to my work at all. But uh, term is created to discredit people who have outside the box or see some of the truth. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, this is a very unique and interesting conversation. I'm kind of taking advantage of the the platform because it's, it's just, because it's not even about those particular things. What it's about for me is breaking the veils of unconsciousness Mm -hmm. is, is pulling those veils down because, you know, here's the thing in order to truly know anything we have to be willing to release all attachments, all biases, all belief systems about that thing in order to actually know it. Yes. You know, just like your partner, like you have to drop your perceptual filters and your biases and your projections about who this person should be or your preferences if you genuinely want to actually know who they are. Yes. 
right? So it's that it's that principle really that I'm operating from. Well, and I think more. I know I, I and thank you. Let me just say thank you because we need more people like you doing this work. You know that um, helping to helping people to tap into the inner voice within them, like you said, you use that will guide them because. I think, you know, so many, so many of us for so long would just go to, you know, click on the internet and see what CNN says or see what the New York Times says or, you know, without realizing that the mainstream media, yes, there's some good things there, but there's actually something very not good (laughs) that's, that's being, you know, here I am going to that side too, but that we need to question uh, what we're being, you know, everything in some senses. And, and, you know, I think for me, it was kind of just doing lots of meditation and quieting my mind. I just woke up one day and I was like, Oh, I'm not sure if I believe that anymore, (laughs) if that makes sense to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, but I think, you know, I think we're all doing this work in different ways. And for you, you know, with health, it's like what people put in their bodies. I mean, what could be more important than our health? Right. I mean, that's an emotional, physical, spiritual. Um, so yeah, along those lines, leading up to this question about the paradigm shift, you know, it sounds like, I know you mentioned you're going into other areas. How do you see your role as in, in this paradigm shift as a, you said, you mentioned the word messenger. Um, I'm just curious, you know, how do you see your role and what's happening in our world as people are gradually kind of waking up to a new way of experiencing things? Mm. Big question. Yeah. So, you know, my, my overarching kind of mission is to help people forget that they were ever in pain to begin with. Yeah. And so that's a powerful thing. When you, when you get to a place in your health, when you get to a place in your mind, in your heart, in your body, where you realize that you are no longer in pain, that is the moment where everything shifts. And that's what happened to me. And that's what I see happen to so many people when they get onto living food, nutrition and superfoods, and they upgrade their water, and they really start to change their health practices, they start to come to a place where the inflammation dissolves, where the fire in their body starts to dissipate, where the chronic aches and pains and and woes start to go and they start to feel better. And when you feel better, you do better. And that's the primary principle is that if you can come to a place where you feel better in your body, then your mind will light up and your your emotions will be balanced, right? Everything will start to come into sync. And from that place, you can really move mountains. You can be hyper creative as you want to be. You can be as inspired as you want to be. You can be motivated because now you actually have the real energy, not just stimulation, but you have real physical core energy inside of you to go out in the world and to make your mark and to, to, you know, really, if you get onto what you love to do, then you can essentially, you can, you can go through your entire day doing only what you love to do, working hours that would exhaust most people even thinking about it, and not sleep as much as most people and still be vibrantly healthy, still, you know, really be in a high peak state of performance, because now all the, the divine principles are being met. 
The reason people sleep so much is because they're a they're exhausted and then they're also emotionally bankrupt. They're mentally fatigued. They're not doing what they love to do. So it actually weakens the body over time. I have a suspicion that the number one thing you can do for your longevity is actually to identify what it is that you're here to do on the planet and then find a way step by step to only do that. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Yes. Oh, thank you so much, Ronnie. I've really, I can't wait to share this with people and I think it's going to be opening eyes in many new and different ways and expanding minds. Beautiful. Um, Yeah. So thank you for your time and your wisdom. And um, I can't wait to see more and hear more about what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here and to share this with everyone. Hopefully everyone got a lot of value out of it, a lot of new perspectives and paradigm shifts. And uh, if anybody wants to find out more about my work, there's a few different websites. Um, I have my online holistic health mastery nutrition certification course. People can find that at holistichealthmastery.com. I also have my personal website, which is RonnieMiddle-Landis.com. And I also have a podcast that you will be appearing on very soon. Uh, And people can look up on iTunes, Ronnie Landis, um, the official Ronnie Landis podcast or whatever. And uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to share this far and wide. Mm. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Ronnie. I hope you enjoyed this interview. For more information about me, you can visit www.soulfulworkconsulting.com. And I'm Rachel Horton-White. Thanks so much for listening.